Revelation chapter 18. To give your attention now to the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine And she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, and they will say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul long has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the sight of a lamp will shine in you no more. 
And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you now would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things. Teach us and train us, correct us, even rebuke us for righteousness' sake. Make us more and more like Jesus. God, I pray for your people. I pray that you would give them ears to hear. Father, that you would open their hearts unto you and that you would move mightily in this place. Father, I pray that you would help me, your servant, would you protect me from error. And may the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, O God. You are my rock and my redeemer, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story told about a great zoo from long ago. This was a zoo famous for its great collection of exotic animals. It had a lot of different ones. Well, one day, the zoo's beloved gorilla died. They were worried. Will people be disappointed? So to keep up its reputation, the zookeeper hired a man, a man to wear a gorilla suit for the day and to fill in for the dead animal. Needless to say, the man's first day on the job was pretty tough. He didn't really know how to act like a gorilla, so he faked it. He did his best to play the part convincingly, and as the day wore on and the heat of the costume got to him, he got tired. Eventually, he got too close to the side of the enclosure where he tripped and he fell over and rolled down into the neighboring exhibit, which just so happened to be the lion exhibit. Realizing where he was, he began to scream, to scream uncontrollably. He was absolutely convinced that his life was over until the lion spoke to him. Be quiet, you fool, or you're going to get us both fired. The story illustrates a vivid truth that we find in chapter 18 here in the book of Revelation. In some measure, the entire world that surrounds us is a fraud. I'm not speaking of the created world and all its beauty and majesty. It's marred, yes, by the tragic effects of sin and rebellion. The world remains a jewel of God's goodness. And one day, one day itself will be restored to its Eden-like glory. It's not the world I'm speaking of. Rather, I'm speaking of Babylon the Great, the great prostitute. And we spoke of last week and the week before this picture of idolatrous worldly systems employed by the beast, systems that are meant to seduce people away from God's truth and to worship the dragon, Satan. Babylon the Great, the world offers much, 
She promises much, but she's a fraud. She cannot truly satisfy. But that doesn't stop people from falling for her, does it? And it certainly has never stopped followers of Jesus from dangerously flirting with her. Even a brief consideration of the sinful practices rampant among the ungodly people all around us, of which I won't recount right now. Think about all that. Or how about a thoughtful examination of the worldly infatuation shared by so many who call themselves Christians? If you take time to think about that, it'll lead naturally to what I think is a startling conclusion. While trying to fool others into believing that we are more than we truly are, especially when we look out among us, and the lies and the deception and the following along with the ways of the world, all they're really doing is deceiving themselves, thinking they can dress like a gorilla and act like a gorilla, eventually be saved by others, who have bought into the same lies that they have, might be dressed in false ways like they are. They fail to realize that one day, one day, capital O, capital D, one day it won't be a fake lion's pit that they've fallen into. It won't be. For one day, that day, the lion will be real, and he will indeed devour all of them. Revelation 18 is a little different than the other chapters we've seen in, Revel- in Revelation. It's, it's a lament. Revelation 18 is a, a lament. In fact, I almost titled this week's sermon, A Funeral Dirge in Three Movements. I was told by people in my house that that may not be a good title. But that's what it is. It's a, a funeral dirge. It's a prophetic cry. And it's reminiscent of other laments and prophetic cries and funeral dirges that we find in the Bible, particularly in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And this lament, this dirge serves a divine purpose for all who would consider it. Its purpose, to call both lost sinners and world-deceived Christians. To call both lost sinners and world-deceived Christians, you might even say backsliding Christians, to flee from the world, to run away from Babylon the Great, to run away because she will not stand, to run from her and not to look back because she's already judged, to abandon ship, Because she's a doomed vessel that is sinking. She's without hope. And all those who would put their ultimate hope in her will be ultimately disappointed. You see, a study of Revelation 18 is going to really show us two things. It's going to show us why, why we need to break up with Babylon the Great. It's also going to show us how, how to break up with Babylon, the great why to break up with the world, and how 
to break up with the world. Revelation 18 actually gives us two reasons why we need to break up with Babylon the Great. Okay, so the first of those, if you're taking notes, the first of those is found in verses 1 through 3 and 5 through 8. And that reason is that she is a living death. She is a living death. Back in chapter 17, verse 1, John was told that he was going to witness the judgment of the great prostitute. And what followed was a vision and its explanation of that vision. And that is what we covered the last two weeks. Now in chapter 18, John is greeted by another angel coming down from heaven. This one, if you look in verse 1, it details that this angel has great authority. And this angel also lights up the whole earth with his glory. I don't believe we've encountered this angel yet, but... This angel clearly represents God. Comes from heaven. This angel is an agent, a messenger of God. And like the God whom he serves, he's authoritative. But he's glorious in his authority. And he's come to show John the judgment. He's come to show him the judgment that he was promised. So with words that echo Isaiah chapter 21, the angel proclaims, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Some of you might be familiar with Isaiah 21, and you might remember that Isaiah was looking ahead to a historical event, right? He was looking ahead to the coming of who we now know to be the the Medo-Persian king named Cyrus. And Cyrus was coming, and he would uh, overrun the actual and historical Babylon. Remember, Babylon, even in John's day, is in dust. It's in ruins, right? It doesn't exist anymore. Isaiah in 21, he's talking about Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king, who would come and actually be the agent, right, that is used to overrun that historical Babylon. This angel... And his declaration saying fallen, fallen is Babylon the great is looking ahead to a historical event that has not happened yet, right? He's looking ahead to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the true king who will come and overrun the worldly systems of evil and all those who have been seduced by and become drunk with the great prostitutes' abominations. You see, this entire evil world, this Babylon, remember, picture book, not a puzzle book, Babylon represents these worldly systems, this entire evil world will fall to the sword of Christ's wrath in his second coming, just as the ancient city of Babylon fell to Cyrus's mounted warriors. This evil world will fall, will fall to the sword of Christ's wrath. Stay tuned. Lord willing, in two weeks, you'll get a picture of this in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. And for some, it might be the first time you've ever seen this picture. It'll be a shocking and surprising picture of our Lord Jesus as he comes in wrath to put an end to all evil in the world but we'll save that for two weeks. I want you to notice how the angel goes on. 
how he goes on in verse one. He, he condemns the depravity of this world's condition. He says that it's been haunted by demons, haunted by unclean spirits, and it's been defiled, right? Haunted and by defiled and detestable beasts. It, this image paints a vivid picture of what happens What happens in a society when God is rejected? One of my seminary professors, Dr. Douglas Kelly, explains this well, I believe, in his commentary. He reminds us, Dr. Kelly loves science, he reminds us that nature abhors a vacuum. You might know that that idea. He says, when a culture turns its back on God, the Holy Spirit to some degree is withdrawn, leaving a vacuum. And guess who rushes in to fill it? That was his question. He says, the evil one and his forces of evil do. They rush in to fill it. And when he comes, his evil begins to reign. And when his evil begins to reign, so do people's moral depravity. And it's seen in their rebellion to God and his ways, and his moral depravity begins to reign. More and more people, what? They're seduced by it, right? More and more people are seduced by it, which is shown here by the rampant drunkenness and unjust gain in verse 3. And as this drunken revelry spreads among the people, they share not only in Babylon the great sin, but also in her judgment, a judgment clearly spoken of in verses 5 through eight, God says that he's taken note of her abundant sin. He says that he will inflict upon her the just judgment due for those sins. She will be burned up with fire in a single day. In but a mere moment, she will be no more. And the same judgment will be shared by all that are found to be in her And not in Christ. Those who were not only in the world, like all of us are, but those who were of the world. You see, falling for Babylon the Great comes with great consequences. I want you to imagine with me for a moment a society. Think about a society of people. And this society of people is brought together, chartered, so to say, founded upon biblical principles. And they want to strive to live by biblical principles. I want you to imagine that over time, this society turns its back on God and outlaws the public influence of his word. It's not hard to imagine, right? Think about it. I want you to imagine that once they did that, the following trends resulted. Okay? Society, founded upon God and his word, turned their back on God and his word, and this happens. Births to unmarried girls increases by 500%. Reported child abuse increases by 2,300%. The divorce rate rises by 350%. Illegal drug use among youths increased by 6,000%. Teenage suicide rises by 450%. of all viable pregnancies are terminated by abortion. And so on, and so on, 
and so on. What kind of conclusions would you draw about that society? Would you look at it and conclude that because they openly rejected God and his word, because they had created a vacuum, would you not then say that that vacuum had become filled? It's become a dwelling place for demons and unclean spirits? Would you consider that indeed where evil had begun to reign, so did people's moral depravity? In rebellion to God, can you imagine that it just continued to get worse and worse and worse? Can you imagine such a thing? Surely, surely you can. Because I know I said imagine such a society. But this society actually exists. The facts and numbers can be easily be found. I got them from the Traditional Values Coalition was using the Department of Commerce and other places, statistics that are available. And this is exactly what happened between 1962 and the early 2000s in the United States of America. And you know what happened in 1962? Some of you might remember. That's the year that the Supreme Court of the United States banned all prayer and Bible teaching in public schools. And look at what has happened since. The void is being filled. It has been filled and it will be filled rapidly. That's why we must break up with Babylon the Great. She brings death. She is a living death. Though she's alive and well, beautiful and seductive, she's already judged. She's already dead. That's the first reason. It's a pretty good reason. There's another one. The second reason, we must break up with Babylon the Great. Notice I'm saying must, not need. We must break up with Babylon the Great. It's found in verses 9 through 24. She's a false security. She's a living death, and now she's a false security. What we see in these verses is not meant to be a condemnation of earthly rule and commerce. No, it's, it's a picture of what it's going to be like for those who trusted in Babylon the Great for their security and their subsequent prosperity. And this picture is actually modeled for us from another account in Scripture. It's modeled after Ezekiel's lament for the fall of the great city of Tyre, which you can see that for yourselves in Ezekiel chapters 26 and 27. Some of you have been reading that uh, in the community Bible reading. Like it is there, just like it is there, the angel here features kings, merchants, and seafarers whose alliance with Babylon the Great is ended when God judges Babylon. So let's look at these three together real quick. The kings of the earth are the first ones to mourn, and we see that in verses 9 and 10. These kings represent the ones who rely on the corruption of the world, the empire, to get prestige, to get power, to even get prosperity. But when she falls, what do they do? They cry out in grief. They cry out because she fell, right? They're also crying out for their own fall as well. The merchants of the earth are the next. It's the longest section, right? In 11 through 16 a, 
as those who buy, sell, and trade goods watch their whole livelihood and their whole purpose for living disappear before their very eyes, they're brought to despair. And with piercing words in verses 14 through 16, we find that what was once, listen how it's described, beauty and splendor, right? What was once a source of splendor and beauty and wealth and prosperity for many years. They had rested their head on this pillow. And what happens? It's wiped away in mere moments. Gone in but a day. The seafarers of the earth are the last that we see to mourn. And you can see that in verses 17 through 20. These are those who had prospered because of the prosperity of kings and of merchants, right? Now that they find themselves empty, so do those who help the merchants and the kings get their stuff where it needs to go. You see, gone with Babylon the Great for this group is any chance to get rich on lavish profits. The, the hopes and dreams that they once had collapse right before their very eyes, just as the worldly system that promised such security collapses right before them. Revelation gives us great pick-me-ups, doesn't it? This is what happens. This is truth. I want you to notice something even deeper, and very important about these three types of mourners. We could spend a lot of time talking about some of the various things that are mentioned here. I know you all wanted to talk about cinnamon. That was mentioned there. But for time's sake and clarity's sake, and I think homiletical purpose, I want you to, I want you to notice something very important about them. It's a common phrase. It's in verse 10, verse 15, and verse 17. Where are they standing? Where are they standing? Do you see it? Far off. They are standing far off. You see, they don't even try to come and rescue their lover. They don't even really mourn for her either. They stand far away, and what do they do? They mourn for themselves. And for what they've lost. Me and my stuff. That's what they mourn. This fulfills exactly what we saw last week. In verse 16 of chapter 17. Remember Satan and his beasts don't care about the great prostitute. They're happy to use her and to abuse her. And to discard her when she fails to satisfy them. And their desire to overthrow Christ's kingdom. Likewise, those who bow their knees to Satan and his beast, those who are seduced to get drunk on the immoralities and the abominations of the great prostitute, all these will show that they never really cared for her and what she represents. They're more than happy to use her and abuse her as long as she gives them what their hearts want most. Give me what I want, me, 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 myself, and I. Give me what my heart wants. And when the security that she promises is gone, 
they could not care less about her. Like those who only pretend to grieve over a great loss, so they're content to just stand far off, watch her be destroyed, and grieve not for the one who's died, but only for themselves. And what follows in verses 21 through 24 is a great exclamation point in response to their half-hearted lament. In fact, it also is very familiar. Some of you may have recognized this from Jeremiah chapter 51. And there we have a story, right? We have an account. The prophet Jeremiah writes in a book all the judgments that would one day befall evil Babylon, the real historical Babylon. God tells him all these things that's going to happen to Babylon, tells him to write it in a book, and he does. Okay, this is prophecy. This is what will come. Why? Because God wants him to give it to one of the leading Jews who is going to go into exile in Babylon. And so he does. He gives it to him. Why? So God's judgment could be proclaimed when the people of God arrived there and they arrived there in chains. And after reading it, that man was given an assignment. He was to tie a stone to the book and to cast it into the river Euphrates. And he was to do it to symbolize that Babylon would one day sink and rise no more because of God's judgment upon them. Now, as John sees the end of history, when the worldly systems of Babylon will come under their final judgment, he sees a very similar scene. Look at it in verses 21 through 24. I won't read all of it again, but you see the mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and he threw it into the sea. And he said, so will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence. When Christ returns to put that final and full end to Babylon the great, all the security that she's promised, all the security shown here, even as we continue on in 22 through 24, all these things that are, are good in and of themselves, these pleasures that we all enjoy. But notice, even those things, we can't find security in that. Even that will be stripped away. And there will be no security left for those who have believed the lies of Babylon the great. That's why we must break up with Babylon the Great. She's a false security. Though she promises much, she is absolutely unable to fulfill those promises. Babylon the Great is a living death and a false security. Those two things alone more than justify why we must break up with her, why we must never, ever, ever get back together, right? To quote Taylor Swift, we must remain separate from her no matter how alluring she might be. But how? How? How are we to do that? Well, the answer is a clear, it's a powerful and it's a compelling call, and it's found in verse 4. You're probably thinking, why did you skip verse 4? I didn't. I'm going back. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, 
lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. That's our third and final point this morning. How? Come out of her, my people. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are far away from Christ. Maybe you grew up in the church, but you haven't really taken it seriously. Maybe you've just been experimenting with church. Maybe you've just been playing church because mom and dad told you to come along. Or perhaps even today is the first time you've ever been in a church. Whatever your circumstances are, I think it's safe to say that you've been living on your own terms. You've been living on your own terms. You've given yourself wholeheartedly to the world. You've given yourself, especially if you're far away from Christ, listen, you've been giving yourself to the life and security that's promised by Babylon the Great. And maybe, just maybe, and my hope and my prayer is that you are finding out that her life is really death and that her security is not very secure at all. Perhaps you've been wearing a costume in hopes that the various pits into which you fall are also filled with others wearing costumes and they're encouraging you along, but you know that deep down, if you fell into a pit and the real lion was there, you were going to be devoured. Listen, there's a coming day when all of us, and listen, if you're apart from Christ, there's coming a day when you're going to have to give an account to the real lion, the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. And what's going to be your plea? What will be your plea? What are you going to say to him? What will come of this life and the security that you have? Would you come out of the world? Would you come out of the world and into the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? By the Spirit's work in your heart, would you confess your sins? Would you confess your sins and this day be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. May this be that day. You can know real life, eternal life, and you can know real security, eternal security in Christ. The invitation is open. You can talk to me afterwards, or you can talk to an elder afterwards. May today be a day of salvation, but what about the rest of us? What about the rest of us? I think the call is just as clear. Come out of the great prostitute. Come out of the great prostitute. It's a call for all of us. I'm not saying that we have to separate ourselves completely from the world, have a monastic separate lifestyle, that we have to withdraw from all non-church activities and enjoyments. That's not what this text says, and it's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. One sure and steady way to know that you are truly in Christ, one sure and steady way to know that you indeed are a believer is that you will not love the world more than you love Jesus Christ. Even though you may fall to her seductions, and we all do, 
though you may do what each and every one of us are prone to do, you may believe that what the world offers at times is truly better life, it makes more sense, or you might think that the promises of this world are more secure, you might believe that lie, you might fall prey to that. Listen, if you belong to Jesus Christ, one of the blessings of belonging to him is that you will come under conviction. The Holy Spirit of God who dwells inside of you will bring you under conviction, and you will repent. You will turn. It's true of me. I've seen it time and time again in my life in many and multitude small ways, but even in big ways, and I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards about it. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're in love with some lie of the world and you're falling for the great prostitute, I have three words for you. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. You're like, what in the world? I came here and I listened to all that for you to say, remember Lot's wife? What does it even mean? We don't have time to read all of it, but you can turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. 22 through 33 here. The Lord Jesus is teaching us about the last day, the coming of the Son of Man, and what they're to be looking for, what they're to be doing, right? How can we be ready for that? The Pharisees had asked the question first, and then Jesus is teaching them. He basically says it's not going to come when you expect it to, right? It's not going to happen in the way that you expect. And he talks in verse 25 about how the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected. And then he makes the parallel to the days of Noah, and that's what it's going to be like. People are going to be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage, and then boom, judgment happens, right? It'll be the same way on that day. Look at verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Lot was Abraham's nephew, and he settled, remember, into that lush area of the Jordan Valley in Sodom. When God sent angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, they first rescued Lot. And remember, Lot had suffered greatly because there he was in the world, and he had assimilated into the well-known wicked culture around him in the world. But yet God rescued him by his grace. We've all been rescued by God's grace And before God sent his fires of judgment upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, he rescued Lot and his wife and his daughters. But what happened on their way out? Do you remember? Lot's wife turned back. And not just to see what God was doing, but she turned back with longing. She looked upon it with longing. And God turned his wife into a pillar of salt. Just like the mourners we encountered here in chapter 18, looking back on it 
with longing. Christian, God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, to rescue from the living death and false security of this great prostitute. He's, he's sent Jesus to give you eternal life and eternal security in his promises. So remember Lot's wife. Don't look back longingly upon the world. Yes, I want you to live in the world. I want you to live among the world. I want you to bring redemptive healing and grace upon the world as you share your life and share the gospel with other people. But don't fall prey to the world's destructions and its seductions. Lose your life for the sake of Jesus. Because if you try to preserve it by assimilating with the world and going into the great prostitute, you may find that you never truly came to Christ out of it in the first place. That all you did was put on a costume and pretended to be a Christian. I hope and pray that that isn't true for anyone here. So wherever you find yourself this morning, it's a clear call. Come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her sins. Cast yourselves completely upon God, the Father who chose you, the son who cleansed you by his blood and the spirit who sealed all those promises upon you. Cast yourselves upon the triune God and allow him, trust him to carry you through this world. His ways are good. His ways are good and just and right. So may all of us look to him and depend solely upon him. Amen and amen.